Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Running Light Podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we are with Running Light Ministries in Tucson, Arizona, and we're super glad to be with you today. This podcast is... The 589, no, it's not, it's not that <laughs> We're getting high. there, man. We will get there one day. <laughs> That's right. 118th podcast. We're going to talk about Texas abortion law 2021 and kind of with some interesting news. Uh, this podcast always deals with sex in the Bible and related topics. And so abortion is a big one. We've never really touched on abortion. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And it's interesting that the Bible does... Uh, talk about abortion um in quite a negative way it does um and i would think that maybe we need to clarify how the bible talks about abortion cuz when i think of it biblically speaking i think of discarding your baby right. when it's born right um so uh, Ezekiel 16 would be a great one um, just to look at and, and see how uh, there is a uh, an allegory happening in that chapter uh, of Israel being like a aborted child. Right. And but we can go back further than um, the book of Ezekiel in time, and we can go back to the Torah, and we could go into. Um, the book of Deuteronomy, and in in the early chapters, there's there's passages about um, the kicking out, if you will, of the Canaanites from the land, and the reasons why they are kicked out are going to be kicked out, and why God is gonna, why Yahweh is gonna fight for Israel, yeah. um, and it seems like one of those reasons is the way they treat their children, right, um, and so. So uh, it's interesting because in the ancient world, uh, the idea or the concept of abortion wasn't really widely practiced the way we understand it today. That means killing the child while it's in the womb. Uh, the reason why is because the only way to do it back in the day was to do something that would be harmful to the mother, something that would risk her life or her health. So they would in the ancient days, they would drink like small amounts of poison uh, to try to cause a miscarriage. Or they would actually, you know, there's the old adage of like falling down the stairs or having someone hit you. Uh, these are things that moms could do. They could actually have someone strike them or hit them to cause a miscarriage. Yeah, and there's all kinds of ancient remedies. Right. <laughs> uh, but because a lot of them were very dangerous, a lot of women just opted for abandoning the children mm -hmm. or sacrificing them in some sort of religious concept. So uh, that's why Bo mentioned the Canaanites, where their uh, preferred method was to actually burn their children alive to a deity named Molech. Uh, but the Romans, even, they would leave their babies outside. They would just leave them on their doorstep, uh, expecting animals to come and kill them or for the child to just eventually run out of food and die on their doorstep. And they had very little... Uh, they had very little care for them. And the Christians actually, this is an aside, but the Christians would actually get these babies from the doorstep. They would scoop them up and they started the first orphanages to protect these young children, which is really amazing and incredible. 
And it goes to a very unique idea that Christians had that is unique to any other philosophy or religious practice up until that point. As Christians, and when I say Christians, I mean Judeo-Christians, so it starts in the Old Testament, there's a concept that man bears God's image. So it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, then the image of God, God created man. Uh, so we have a perspective that all human life has inherent moral and ethical value that is to be defended as a result of us being made in the image of God. The reason why I say that's unique to Christianity is because no other worldview actually thought that way. Every other worldview, we actually take it for granted, things like racial equality, sexual equality, and things like that. All these viewpoints come from a Judeo-Christian worldview. In a pagan worldview, you do not have inherent value. You actually have earned value to the society that you live in. Through your production. Through your production. So if you are not a productive member of society, then you, you have, suck. Yeah, no joke. You have no value. And that's why if even in the Old Testament, you see the death penalty ascribed for what we would consider minor crimes. Uh, now, there are reasons why the Bible does that, but it does show both in the Old Testament, but also in any other legal code that you can find throughout the world, the death penalty is, is given for very minor crimes. The reason why is, again, your right to live is something that has to be earned in that society, and that means you could lose it very easily. You could lose your right to life very, very quickly. That's also why slavery was so widely practiced. Every country in the world practiced slavery because there was this idea of, why can't I treat another human being like property? And it wasn't just foreigners or war captives. It was their fellow citizens. The idea of treating your fellow citizen as property was not considered weird in any part of the world prior to around the 15 or 1600s within Western civilization. Uh, and this is all built upon a Christian worldview. That's why in our Constitution it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator uh, with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is unique to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Because of that, Christians believe that all life has inherent value and needs to be treated with dignity. That even gets into the issue of the death penalty, which we're not going to talk about today, but it does inform our view of the death penalty. And that also means that if you can consider something a human being, that human being, regardless of their status, has inherent value from their creator because it bears the image of their creator. This is why for a Christian, there are many passages in the Bible that talk about this inherent value being imprinted upon babies before they're born. Uh, and Bo quoted a couple, but even in Jeremiah, God talks about having a relationship with Jeremiah in the womb. And in Psalm 139, David speaks about being formed and created lovingly by God in the womb. He didn't consider his being or his essence to start outside the womb. He sees it as beginning in the womb. Now, these passages, just again, they feed into this very inherent idea within Judeo-Christianity that life has inherent value and therefore ought to be protected no matter where it is, no matter where that that life is located and for the Christian also we think that it is a grave sin to kill or to take away the right of life 
of especially the vulnerable within our community. We're called in the Bible to love the orphan and the widow, which, by the way, back in the day, once again, no other culture had provisions for the orphan and the widow. The reason why is because, again, you only have value to your society as so long as you are valuable. The orphan and the widow did not have value to the society. So the idea of protecting their rights and treating them with dignity was foreign to them. Letting a widow or an orphan just die on the street was not considered weird. In fact, it was considered strange to help the orphan and the widow. Why would you be helping members of society that aren't profitable for society? It made no sense to them. And so because of that, the Bible would again encourage Christians to protect the life of the unborn, which is why Christians have been on the front lines of the right to life and what's going on. So Yeah, just think what it would be like today if if people back then, the Aristotles of the world, or, you know, something were back here today and they looked at the homeless population of California, <laughs> they'd be like, oh, dude, they should be taken out. <laughs> they should either be, their idea would be either take them out or turn them into slaves. Right. right? Force them into labor to support the society. They would never think of governmental programs <laughs> to support people's right to basically be vagrants, to just be taking from society and not giving anything back. Yeah. So we have a, a very uh, Christian foundation, and, uh, and it, so it's changed a lot of the way we think about life and about caring for people or being sensitive for people's different circumstances. Um. And, and that kind of thing. But anyway, the Texan abortion law, uh, I'm just going to break it down really simple. I'm going to take it from the PlannedParenthood.org site because if there's any site that probably would be very against this law, it would be them. So it's a good source for us to be able to go to there, um, use their words, so to speak, and that way we know there's probably not much bias here um, from Planned Parenthood being pro the the law. So right. it just says as of September 1st, 2021 the state of Texas has enacted a new abortion restriction known as Senate Bill 8 SB 8. This law limits the our ability to provide abortion care in Texas beyond about six weeks of pregnancy and sometimes even earlier. We are fighting this law in court and we are still here for you. So that's kind of what they say. That's right. So the heartbeat, for those of you guys who don't know, can be detected around five to six weeks. That's when the heartbeat can be detected. The genius of this law, the reason why it's unique uh, and no other law like it has been passed, is because Roe versus Wade provides a precedent for the right for a mother to choose and to abort their child uh, at different times within the trimesters. What this one does, which is really unique, is instead of saying flat out, this is illegal, like aborting a child uh, prior uh, after the heartbeat is illegal, they instead shifted it into a civil dispute as opposed to a legal dispute, Me meaning that if someone does this, they're not going to see jail time. Instead, what it does is it provides the private citizen the ability to report that person and sue them directly. So it's a civil dispute, not a legal dispute. So it goes around the Roe versus Wade thing. And a lot of the pro-life organizations within Texas have already set up 1-800 numbers where people can anon anonymously report people who are uh, executing abortions and they can sue them in class action lawsuits. So, okay. 
So th when you said that, of course, my mind went to um, something back in the 70s when there was a lawsuit that was um, uh, involving Linda Lovelace, uh, the lady, if I remember, who was the actress in the movie, the pornography movie Deep Throat. And um, isn't that sad? That's where my mind went. You're <laughs> 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 on that note. No. Well, the reason why is because when, I, when I've when i done some uh, presentations at, at the college, um, I use a slide that talks about Catherine McKinnon, who is a lawyer, very anti-porn lawyer, who represented Linda Lovelace. I forget her original, her real name, but uh, in court. And they tried to sue the producers of Deep Throat and and it was really it, it was they used a different method and they were trying to uh, kind of have this method um, um, be the main point and if it was if the if the court said yeah you know uh, you know uh, women were subordinated she was subordinated to do this pornography film and they they define subordination as simply uh being in the show being in the movie um and 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 under this coercion this quasi co coercion um that possibly could have taken place then really it would it would result in all pornography being deemed you know coercion Coercion, right? Yeah, so it's like they try to go in through this other means, right? You know, or, or I think of like, um, you know, the whole alcohol thing. You know, alcohol was banned. Uh, people wanted to ban it through, you know, religious means or ethical means, uh, moral means, and that didn't work. So you go through health, um, and so you're saying that this you go through health, like it's a health hazard. And because it's a health hazard, now it's banned, you know. And um, so there's different ways so in, in a court to get things done. Right. So because Roe versus Wade is a Supreme Court decision, the state, the local state government can't actually, uh, as far as I understand it, because it's been upheld as a constitutional right to abort, the state can't actually say this is illegal because to do that would be to go against the Supreme Court. So in other words, in order to do that, we would have to overturn Roe versus Wade, which uh, would be really awesome if that happened, but because that would just kick it back to the states to make their own legal dis decision about what they want to do with abortion. But what Texas has done, which is really, like I said, is very genius, is without having to directly confront Roe versus Wade, they've essentially made abortion illegal within their state uh, because someone can sue anyone who provides an abortion. So another genius thing about it is because a lot of people would say, well, the, you're, you're going to be throwing women in prison. Well, no, actually, no one's going to go to prison, but people can be sued, right? And it's not the women who are going to be sued. It's those providing the abortion who can be sued. So they're open to so Planned Parenthood, any doctor, anyone who is a party to the abortion is going to be wide open for lawsuits. That is very, very smart. So as a Christian, obviously, what I want and what I know you want is for abortion to just be illegal, right? For it to just be outlawed entirely. But it's kind of like with slavery. 
within the United States. Uh, when it came to slavery, there was many Christians who wanted slavery outright abolished. And they were pushing for it incredibly hard. And they weren't really getting anywhere. The people who started to make a lot of sway were people like Abraham Lincoln, whose goal was we need to abolish slavery, but they were playing the long game. They were willing to go through cases like this to make slavery more and more and more difficult until you could get to the place where you could say it's illegal. Uh, so we as Christians should actually be very happy about this. We should be very excited that this has happened. We should champion it and we should ask for the same thing to happen in our personal states because this would be a very good step forward. Most women don't even know they're pregnant at the five-week mark. So the idea that you can't have an abortion after five weeks is actually a huge win for uh, pro-lifers in that state. Now, the problem is obviously a woman can still drive out of state. Right? She could still right. go to a neighboring state and abort her child there. Uh, but uh, any restrictions upon abortion are a good thing. They're a win, and we should be happy about it. So do you think people should just contact their governor and kind of lay it out to say, hey, this SB, what was it, 18 or uh, SB 8 mm -hmm. um, bill that passed in Texas? We'd like to see the same thing here. Yeah, and actually there is a good chance that in Arizona something like this could be passed because we do have a conservative state government. In Tucson, we have a very liberal city government. And I think also in Maricopa County, they have like kind of a purple government. <laughs> you know, it's not really blue or red, it's kind of mixed. Mm -hmm. But our state government, uh, especially our governor, Governor Ducey, is actually very conservative. So there is a possibility of something like this being passed in Arizona, which would be really, really good. Now, let's move on, because we, on this podcast, try to talk about uh, really focus on things from a sexual point of view mm -hmm. um, and not just talking like politically or theologically or anything like that. Uh, me and Sean will probably speak later on today on a reason for hope about more of like the political aspect and stuff of this of this particular bill. But nice. what I wanted to talk to you about, because I love having these kinds of conversations with you, <laughs> is let's take this angle for a second. Many people are saying that abortion is a feminist issue. What do you say about that? Um, I tend to think that that's narrow-sided. And because when you say it's a feminist es issue, first of all, you're presupposing female. And <laughs> so... Which we should never we, which, do. Which many people today in the same... Um, genre of cultural knowledge and information seem to have thrown out this idea that there is female and male and, and that only females can have kids that yeah that's why even this year on mother's day the congress actually called it birthing person's day birthing birthing because <laughs> you couldn't call it female yeah because you can't call it female because you know my wife might decide tomorrow that she's a man right and she could still bear children as a man so that's right. It's no longer a woman's issue. <laughs> That's right, which is really weird because feminism is going to have to change its name fairly soon because right. it's presupposing um, women's issues. Right. And, um, and 
you know, so so already we have a problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because no one's sticking to any definition anyway. Right. It seems like within this feministic worldview, I've even read Catherine Catherine McKinnon's ideas of uh, um, uh, transgender. Uh, her transgender articles that have been famous on online and and she even it seems to has caved into the idea that feminism is it doesn't matter if you're a biological male it's just a, it's an ideology mm. that feminism is really just built on an ideology right um and that's all it is so it really is not contingent on a biological um you know s structure you know, per se, it's um, you can be male, you can be female. Uh, now, we're beyond all of that crazy <laughs> stuff, yeah. right, uh, is just my thoughts is that um, is that biblically speaking, it seems like and biologically speaking, um, the Bible s stresses a lot on men's responsibilities mm. and biologically it seems to me that if you have sexual intercourse um, and someone has uh, an, an ejaculation of semen into a vagina, then you have a penis and a vagina, um, a male and a female right. working together right. to um, produce a zygote or zygote. Mm -hmm. And... I know I, I I feel like I'm like in science <laughs> or biology, <laughs> like, you know, not even 101 here, but but it seems like that's what we have come to mm. in in our world. But I my point is, is that uh, it, it does take two to tango. And there is a I believe there's a responsibility um, in our culture on male on men, right. on penises, right. uh, however you want to put it nowadays, right. um, on ejaculation of semen. I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate. Where, you know, <laughs> you, you and I It's have, like an inanimate object now. <laughs> right. That doesn't really matter. It's like a sperm donor. It's like not even, it's not even relevant to the conversation. And, and you and I have spoken on this a lot where, um, you know, a lot of people when they're talking about the issue of abortion, they focus so much on after the child has actually been produced or reproduced within the womb. And what we've always told people is you need to take a step back where the big issue that's coming from abortion is male responsibility to their children. So there's two ways that our cultures kind of mess this up. The first one is, is that once the child is in the mom, the slogan for pro-choice people or advocates is my body my choice so the man actually has no say over what's happening within the woman meaning he doesn't actually have a choice about whether or not she should keep that child mm -hmm. even though that's partly his now this also this philosophical idea also and moral idea by the way plays a part of how men see their children so in other words there's no societal mandate it goes both ways there's no societal mandate that a man provide and support their the person that they got pregnant during the pregnancy 
after the baby is born, she can sue for paternal um, support, right? She could sue for money and resources and things like that to help her as she raises their child. But up until that point, there isn't any male responsibility. And I think within a lot of young men's minds, especially after Roe versus Wade, the idea of responsibility towards their children has dropped off in a major way. And that's why you see a huge increase in single motherhood. Yeah, usually, you know, you watch an old show prior to Roe vs. Wade, mm. uh, a movie, right? Some A girl gets pregnant, and what's the, what's the assumed response going to be? I, shotgun wedding. You know? <laughs> shotgun <laughs> wedding. Yeah. You know, we got to get married. Yeah. You know, there was a responsibility that was um, given, right? you know, in that s- situation. Um, you don't see in those old films of like, I, I'm pregnant, abortion, mm. you know. But after Roe vs. Wade, you know, the movies that came out are pregnant, abortion clinic. Mm. Um, and the dude's not going to be there. Right. And so there was a societal pressure on people before Roe vs. Wade to stay with someone who is pregnant and there is something that has happened in the lives of men where we have been in a sense let off the hook but really I don't I don't think it's helped us being you know we might have thought it we were being let off the hook but really it's 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 um, created a lot of very irresponsible narcissistic selfish um, people Right. And maybe there needs to be a law change of if you get someone pregnant, this is what is expected. You're responsible. This is, yeah, this is what is, yeah, whatever it is. And if you don't, if you don't want to be, and and this is where the Torah comes in. Right. If you don't want to be, well, that's fine. You know, just pay her a million dollars. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For those of you guys who don't know what Bo's referencing (laughs) in the Torah and the Old Covenant, if you had premarital sex with a woman, you had to either marry her or pay her a large dowry. Uh, I think it would be uh, tens of thousands of dollars in modern day money. So it's not like a small sum of money. It was a, it was a large sum of money that you would be responsible for to the girl and to her family for that. So in the Torah, there was this idea of male responsibility to their children, to their offspring. Yeah. And maybe that's what needs to happen. Uh, maybe that will be something that could maybe change the tide. Because I think these women issues, uh, when they're, wh- or let me say it this way, when these issues are put in a feminist framework, mm. like I, I just think they miss a big part of um, how to get to the answer. And I've always said this, feminism especially like when you get into second and third wave feminism, it is something that although it's portrayed and I think the feminists are very much into it as like a, this is a woman's issue. You have to understand. And it's against lazy, inept, uh, objectifying males, lazy, obsessed, objectifying males love feminism. Because it takes away, the re- if you're talking about a lazy guy who doesn't want to take responsibility, he loves the idea that, oh, like I can just do this 
and it's my it's her problem i don't have to take any responsibility for it they also love the idea that women would consider it empowerment to objectify themselves and to uh basically sell themselves off to you know like these these various websites as well as in strip clubs and things like that that the feminists were like this is empowering these guys the very guys that the feminists are trying to get out from under are super happy with their move into feminism uh they're like yeah this is great you know let my wife be the breadwinner of the house let the you know like so the guys who don't want to take any responsibility the very men that feminists are against are loving this this setup it really feeds what they want which is really odd to me that you would that you would steer into that uh exactly male fantasy that they would want yeah yeah i mean i don't know i mean you know you kind of get into some interesting thoughts with with what you just said too about kind of porn culture right um is is uh is porn culture is it really porn that's the problem or is it just the lack of responsibility of human beings right you know that's the real issue so it's like what we tend to focus on as Christians is, you know, we focus on these things that are wildly successful, these products. Yeah. And instead of asking the question of what in our society is making these products so big, like so successful, right? we blame the product. And that was exactly what went wrong with the abolitionist movement when it came to alcohol. So instead of asking the question of why are so many people drinking, drinking it was let's just get rid of the alcohol because the alcohol is the problem you see right it's not the economic issues right. it's not the you know the poverty or whatever's going on in their life or their life's miserable right um for all different purposes it's the product it's the product and the same thing is true with abortion issues like i said i love the fact that these laws are being passed but there's also something that needs to be understood and many pro-choicers have brought this up and it is a good or a valid argument. It doesn't justify their position, but it does speak to our society where they'll say, like, who's going to take care of these kids? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you know, I, I believe over the course of a year, something like 300,000 abortions are done every year in the United States. That's a lot. That's a lot of children being killed. So the question is, is 300,000 extra kids being in the society every single year? who's going to take care of the kids and the issue of personal responsibility the issue of how we're going to do it that is a valid question and it is something that we need to evaluate so i don't think that the pro-choicers are wanting people to think this way i think they're wanting people to look and be like wow that's a big cost all right fine let's just abort them but what i'm saying is that is a good point to bring up and instead of coming to the conclusion of well let's just kill the kids Let's come to the conclusion of what are we going to do about it? Why is our society so irresponsible when it comes to children? And how do we shift the society into being more responsible? And you've brought up a couple ideas that if there was a societal pressure for these people to take responsibility, there would be a greater responsibility on the people having the children. So in other words, prior to the sexual revolution, you know, there's a reason why the sexual revolution happened when it did. It's not like it just came out of nowhere. It was birth control. (laughs) That's why it happened Mm -hmm. was we can have sex without consequences. And then the sexual revolution really picked up steam with Roe versus Wade because it was 
now not only can we prevent ourselves from getting pregnant, but if we blow it, <laughs> we could just abort the kid. We still don't have to take responsibility. Yeah, I was just looking at this, the lowdown. You know, this is, this is uh, you know, can you get pregnant on the implant? I was just looking at the implant technology, mm. you know, where, you know, you're a woman and now you can go, hey, I can be just like a man. Mm. I can be irresponsible sexually. Right. Like I can, I can have sex with whom I want, when I want. I'm going to get this, this thing put in my arm. Right. And uh, because so I don't because I'm irresponsible or maybe maybe I know that I uh, I might get drunk and I might end up sleeping with someone. Right. You know, and, you know, you feel so sexually irresponsible. Right. That you got to have this thing because you, you don't want to have the bother of taking a, uh, a birth control pill. Right. So you just have this thing implanted and, and it says it's for three up to three years. Right. This thing's implanted in you. But the point of it is that, you know, it's not just males that don't want to be responsible. You know, there's there's something in us as human beings that we just do not like the ramifications right. of of sex. Right. There's a there's a cool proverb that talks about a lustful person. And he says the lustful person will eat delicately and throw it up so <laughs> it's like i like i it, it, you know the picture is that i'm eating ice cream or something but i don't want to get fat so i'll just eat it and then i'll just throw it up so i can have the pleasure without the consequence the consequence and this is the same thing where god designed and you and scott i listened to your guys' sermon last night it was really good mm. and you guys were talking about the marital bed and how god designed it and one of the so in our society we look at the consequences of sex as a negative. It's like a drawback that, yeah, sex is really pleasurable, but there's consequences like there, there's uh, perceived commitment and things like that. And they see that as a negative. The church went the other way where they're like the commitment <laughs> is the positive and the pleasure is the negative where God designed it, where the pleasure is elevated through the commitment that what makes sex so good is that it also incorporates commitment and responsibility. And if we raise our kids thinking that responsibility is negative, it's bad, then we're teaching them a false dichotomy, that pleasure is at odds with responsibility and consequences, where actually one of the aspects of love, love being able to suffer long and remain kind, to be sacrificial, to be unconditional, one of the aspects of love is love is so beautiful because it's sacrificial, because it requires you to get out of yourself and to be accountable and to have consequences and things like that, both positive and negative consequences, that that's actually a good thing. Yeah. And what if your sex doesn't have any, what if you're, you know, what you're saying by the lack of responsibility that you want to have in sex is that I don't want sacrifice to be a part of my sex life at all. Right. Meaning, you know, I don't want that. I, I don't want to have any idea of maybe personal sacrifice. Um, I want my sex life to be just simply about stimulating my phallic right. or my, you know, woman part, your clitoris or, you know, that's it. Right. It's like, that's what I want. Right. And it has, n there's, you know, there's no idea of of sacrifice in there. And then all you have at that point 
is porn. That's all you got. Right. You know, all it is is just getting off. Right. Now, but what what I really want to challenge people on is this idea of getting off is if you don't, if you're going to put something in your arm that is going to change your, your uh, uh, you know, mess up your hormones, right. you know, as a woman, and that's a big deal. Who knows what's going to happen when you're on this? You could break out in something and, you know, you could have autoimmune. I don't know, man, right, but it seems right. like there's stuff that could happen through different hormonal issues that maybe can potentially happen through taking the pill or being on something like this lowdown product. Um, um, but um, uh, I was getting at the point of, you know, why don't you just, why don't you just commit right. yourself to oral sex? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why don't you just commit yourself to anal sex? Right. Like, why, if you're that irresponsible in your sex life. Just wear a chastity belt. <laughs> totally. <laughs> there like, are other ways to stimulate yeah, yourself. Yeah, like, <laughs> or why not just self-gratify? Why right. not just masturbate? Right. Which a lot of people in the new generations are just are doing. doing. Yeah. yeah, which we've done many podcasts on that. Right. But obviously not enough, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because if you, if you simply, and this is like the pro-porn argument from my perspective. Right. It's like if you, if people could just watch more porn yeah. and masturbate to porn instead of living this irresponsible sexual intercourse life. Right where this extreme narcissism where you're like, I want to have sexual intercourse and, and I don't, you know, and, and if I get pregnant you know, I can abort the baby, right. You know, just like that. Um, then why not commit to, you know, uh, you know, Hey, I'll just watch porn the rest of my life. Right. And you know, if, if it's all about stimulation and, and that leads me to another thing, uh, is that maybe it's not about stimulation. Right. You know, maybe it's about something else for a lot of people, mm. um, me- meaning it's not just really about the sexual stimula- stimulation that's taking place. Maybe there's something within human beings where we're trying to achieve an ideal, um, but we have lost our way. Right. So maybe humans are trying to achieve an ideal in having sexual intercourse, even though they're having a very irresponsible, an irresponsible way of it, right. meaning they could potentially get pregnant, uh, they shouldn't be doing this, they don't have the money for a baby, um, you know, they're not, they're not ready at right. all. Right. But they do it anyway because they're trying to mimic something. Right. They, they see something in their mind as being right, right. or good. Right. Um, it's just that a the, thought. That the image of God... Now, when we say that we have the image of God on us, that's not a physical quality, meaning that we don't resemble God physically because God is spirit. But what it means is that there's an imprint on you of God's nature and character. And therefore, there's actually a natural instinct to want to act in certain ways. Part of that is having a conscience. That's an argument that Paul makes in Romans 2. But one of it, I think what you're getting at, is that when God makes us in his image, God gave humanity the high and amazingly glorious capacity to create in our image. We call it procreation, <laughs> that we make kids that bear our image and we're able to actually raise them in a way that glorifies God. So there's this imprint on us as mankind of wanting or desiring to reflect our creator 
in coming together and the two becoming one, right? We want to imitate the akkad. We want to imitate the unity that God has within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we also want to imitate the procreative power of it. Where, you know, I, I talk to some men, and this might be true for you, and I'm sorry if this is a little bit uh, crazy for you guys. Like, you, you know, obviously you know not to have probably young kids listening to our podcast <laughs> anyway. But, you know, when I talk to some men, they're, they're like, you know, some guys, especially like in the Marines where I had these friends having like tons of kids with different women. And I'm like, dude, like wear a condom, pull out, like do something. But there was something in them that wanted to ejaculate in the woman right and it was it like they couldn't explain why why it was why they wanted to so badly and and reading dr david lay's book on the myth of sex addiction i remember he has this section about like men men needing that to do that right in order to like he saw it as like an evolutionary right uh (laughs) idea of like um like a competitive right. like a competitive thing <laughs> yeah like when you saw a man uh you know with a woman yeah you know in the in the olden ancient days <laughs> you know in the caveman days i guess right you know is what he was getting at you know when you saw it you, you it kind of revved you up you right. know sexually and it made you go Man, I need to do that too because you put my seed in that woman. That's right. It's like the uh, the human win. equivalent of a dog peeing on his <laughs> right, <laughs> on his partner. Right. Competitive, yeah. competitive <laughs> urinating. This is mine. I'm <laughs> like I'm putting my seed in that woman. She's mine. Yeah, but that um, that kind of idea and and you know it made me think like oh that's interesting because you know obviously in pornography there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, you know orgasms in in pornography and there's a lot of uh you know and we tend to we tend to be uh, attracted to orgasm yeah you know that is another interesting point where in a lot of pornography there is like you know quote unquote the money shot right that people want to see it that's right you know where it's like why couldn't you just simulate sex and not have the guy have an orgasm right like what's wrong with that you yeah know, what's wrong with ending the scene before he does right but know? there's something there's something about that that makes us kind of go whoa in us like man we gotta we gotta move right you know it it revs our sexual um bodies up as well right that you know? so like from a christian perspective that's part of being made in the image of god the desire to create in our image like our creator did but in evolutionary biology, it's, well, we just evolved to do it because we want to procreate because that's the whole reason why you're here is just to make babies. Right. And when you die. see it, you want to procreate. <laughs> you want to do it. But the, the interesting thing is uh, that's what I meant when I said it was very fast the way you put it of like there's something in us that wa- we're like imitating something. We're wanting to do something. But there's also a fallen aspect to it. So we believe we're made in the image of God. But we're also a fallen creation. So it's like if you made a painting or a statue in the image of somebody, like I made a statue of Abraham Lincoln, but I dropped it, you know, and it's cracked and it's marred, but it still bears his image. That's like mankind. We're cracked, we're marred, but we still bear the original image that was stamped onto us, that was imprinted on us at birth. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, at conception. So, like, when. We talk about guys wanting to imitate this, but without the consequences or responsibility, you see that fallen image. We want part of it, 
but we don't want all of it. Yeah. Right. We want an aspect of it, but only the aspects that we like. Yeah, that's right. We're definitely tainted. You know, I was also looking at uh, the abortion pill, too. So people, you know, can get an abortion um, and then then there's a abortion pill. It's the morning. Usually it's called the morning morning after after pill. pill. Yeah. Which is you have to take kind of right away. Um, And so. So sometimes I don't understand even this, like, okay, you, you're having sex, you get pregnant. Um, you know, you know, if if a female knows that the dude, uh, ejaculates in her, then at that moment you can, you know, find the pill, get the pill somewhere. I would imagine it's relatively easy. I would imagine just call up your local Planned Parenthood Right. you know, location in right. your town. <laughs> go to Walgreens. Go CBS. to Walgreens. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's and, not and, hard, yeah. And you just pick it up and, and take it. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, so it's like there's, there's a, there, there's something else going on too. And that is, I wonder how much of abortion is wrapped up in a lack of good sexual education and I know that's a big topic for a lot of people. We've talked about it quite a bit, too, on the podcast. Which is true. You know, when you go through states that have better sexual education than others, you see that the number of unplanned pregnancies do fluctuate based on that sexual education. Yeah. So that that would make sense, too, because we're talking about the irresponsibility of people. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I wonder, uh, you know, uh, I'm speaking from some ignorance here on... How much of an abortions are done by like what is the age bracket? Mm. Um, you know, I wonder if I could put that in here and find out. Probably like, could, yeah, like by age. Yeah. Um, how many are being performed? And it's shocking, but that I do know that the number of abortions happening for married couples has actually gone up quite a bit in the last couple of years. So a lot of even um, people who are married don't want to have children so either they have a kid and they're like oh you know we want to wait you know three or four years or whatever they have like their their schedule of how they want to have children and so if they accidentally get pregnant within that category or some parents are like we want you know a boy and a girl and they get pregnant with another boy and they abort that child because the gender's off other people they figure out that their child has some sort of a disability within the womb down syndrome something like that and they abort the child on those bases. So it's not just something for like younger teenage girls. It is something that uh, even older people are doing for their own purpose. But it all comes back to what we're talking about of taking personal responsibility, of saying I have a responsibility when I have intimacy, when I have sex with my partner, whether we're married or not, there is the potential that we're going to create life in this encounter. And we have to be ready to take responsibility for that life. That was something that was just understood in the Judeo-Christian worldview, that you are supposed to take responsibility for that life that you create when you have sex. That's one of the gifts that God's given us. So even me and my wife, when we first got married, both of us had a lot of fear of getting pregnant in the first year of marriage. We didn't want to get pregnant. And we had to come together as a couple and say, hey, We can take precautions, but at the end of the day, if we get pregnant, are we ready to take responsibility for that life? Are we ready to do it? And until we were able to have that real conversation 
our intimacy was never free or liberated to be something that was without fear, that was with confidence, and that was with a lot of joy. So everyone has to do, if you're going to be sexually active, are you ready to take responsibility for a life that you might create? If you are not ready, then you probably shouldn't be having sex. <laughs> like that's the idea. You probably shouldn't be having sex because sex should be, there should be an understanding that sex carries with it responsibility. Well, this is interesting because you would think in your 20s and in your 30s that you, uh, you know, in your life, you would have a good sense of like when the penis goes in the vajayjay <laughs> and there's an ejaculation potentially that I could get pregnant. Mm. I, I would think that by the time you're in your 20s mm. and in your 30s, that that's super clear. Right. You think. Yeah. <laughs> you you think. know, I, I just can't imagine someone in their 20s going, you know what? It's like if you don't want to get pregnant again, have anal sex. Right. You know, it's not that I'm um, condoning that. Right. But I'm just saying it. Like, from your worldview. Yeah. Right? From of yeah. you don't want to get pregnant. Yeah. And you don't want to be responsible. At least be responsible <laughs> enough. <laughs> right. To, to have sex in these ways where you're able to have pleasure. And, and if it's, it's about stimulation, then, right. you know, anal sex, oral sex, right. um, you know, there's plenty of options out there. Right. But if it's not just about stimulation and it's about you know marriage is right. Right. And you know having a baby is right. Right. And and for some reason it's in your DNA. Right. That these things are all the way to go. Right. And so and maybe that's why you keep having sexual intercourse. Right. That for a Christian, again, all these things are wrapped up. We take the whole package. We don't compartmentalize well we shouldn't anyway like if we're ideally thinking about sex in the way that God created it the idea is this is to glorify God so there's a oneness in body there's a oneness in emotionality there's a oneness in commitment and there's a oneness in the potential to create an image bearer right an image bearer of you your wife and more importantly God so all those things coalesce when Christians have sex. Yeah. And that's in our minds. Because it blows my mind. You know, China exports. Now, this is another cool thing. But China exports, you know, $25 billion in sex toys. Right. Uh, sex, poi, sex toy purchasing is in the 15 to $20 billion range worldwide. So there's... A lot of people with sex toys, mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of women have phallics. Right. And, and this it happened all the way. I mean, the Romans used phallics, the gr people from Greece, and you know, so nothing there's, new. There's actually the even like in the book of Ezekiel, some passages where you're like, it kind of sounds, sounds like, like a it sounds like they had them back then, too. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely have s it definitely feels sex toyish. Right. You know, Um you know, and it's like, <clears throat> hey, if you want sexual intercourse, if you want stimulation, just use that. Right. Where if it's just about the orgasm. If it's just about the orgasm. You could have an orgasm <clears throat> without another person. You don't even need another person. Right. So there's, and then there's zero risk yeah, so it's almost <laughs> of STDs or unplanned pregnancy. So it's almost like if you're not, if you're an atheist and you're having sexual intercourse, it's almost like you're saying 
in a metaphysical way that I um, that this is the right thing to do. Right. Like you're claiming that this is the what you ought to be doing. Right. That there's a, it, this is the moral ought. I should be having sexual intercourse. Even though you're an atheist and you're throwing out God and you're throwing out, you know, anything, you're really not having sexual intercourse just because of stimulation. Just for the orgasm. Just for the orgasm. There's something else that's going on. Right. Because you don't need to have sexual intercourse to have the stimulation, but yet you do it. Right. You know, even knowing that you are being irresponsible. Right. You know, with your sexuality, meaning you potentially could get pregnant, mm. you know, or get someone pregnant. Now, I go back to these age groups because ages 20 through 39 is really the bulk mm. of the the issue. Right. If you could deal with people from 20 to 40, 20 years, right. there's a 20-year span that is mostly all of it. Isn't that amazing? Yep. That's it's a forty year span of 20, your life. Or twenty year span yeah. of the life. That's it. Yeah. Just twenty years span. Be responsible for twenty years. <laughs> twenty years, man. <laughs> Pull it together. <laughs> you know, masturbate for twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it, isn't that amazing that yeah. just within those twenty years, like, you know, um now what what is happening in you know and and thing is is why would i trust any college student right you know uh you know knowing the facts that when you're in your 20s you're being really sexually irresponsible right you know um do you think i would want to trust you on other things too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know probably not yeah. <laughs> maybe you're yeah, not the you greatest source if you can't get even the the smallest amount of sexual response i mean like because what we're talking about is that there's the ideal right the christian ideal of treating your sexuality and your understanding the glory of god and things like that but set that aside super low bar really low bar when it comes to sexual responsibility yeah just biological stuff just just do what you can to not get pregnant right so be, simple stuff. yeah simple stuff wear a condom take a pill take the I, iud thing um you know or just masturbate or you know have different types of sex that can't get you pregnant right really i mean that's like the lowest bar you could possibly make for somebody when it comes to sexual responsibility and they still can't do it yeah still right? how many abortions are going on in the country right you know, I, and, I don't and know, even like people were getting upset uh, or celebrating in New York and California when they made the bills that allow for abortions up to 40 weeks, up to 40 weeks. So you're talking about someone so irresponsible that they clearly know, you know, you're pregnant after about four, <laughs> if you don't know you're pregnant after 12 weeks, you got some major health issues. But and pretty much everyone knows they're pregnant after 12 weeks. You can't even get the amount of moral responsibility to have the abortion before 40 weeks. You can't even get it together for that amount. And what it shows is it shows that when you start allowing people to get away with irresponsibility, there is no limit to how lazy, entitled, and self-conceited people can, can become. Yeah, we are a wreck. That when you baby people, <laughs> like, are. I think the idea is like, well, you know, if I lower the bar enough, people will clear it. And the idea is, no, no, no. If you lower the bar enough, people will still miss it. 
because people will become so infantile. They'll become so childish, even when they're 20, even when they're 30, that they can't cross any bar of responsibility. Isn't that what the California homeless situation has proved? Exactly. So it seems like when you have a legal system that is more amenable to people being lazy and self-entitled, they become more lazy and self-entitled. You know, Thomas Sowell, I just read a book of his, one of the best books I've ever read, one of the best non-Christian books I've ever read, uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals. Super amazing. If you guys haven't heard of Thomas Sowell, he might be one of the most... Uh, underrated brightest minds he is incredibly bright when you hear this guy speak when you read anything that he's written it just blows your mind even if you disagree with him you have to admit this dude is very very smart and in the book he talks about how black the black population has gotten to the place where it's at today and a lot of people make the argumentation that it's the effects of slavery and what he shows is that actually during slavery and after slavery, during black codes and Jim Crow, the single motherhood rate within the black community was at around, I think it was at around like 20% or less, which was actually less than the white community and the white population. So meaning that that African-American descendant uh, people living in America, even in these difficult, troubled times, right. had a very low single mom rate men were more responsible that they were taking care of their children uh, now he did mention that the amount of shotgun weddings was pretty high <laughs> right but that, but they were still being taken care of and actually the economic the exponential rate of economic incline was higher during the time of jim crow than it is today so it doesn't mean that that black people were making more but it means that they were exponentially growing at a much higher rate than they are today. So he tries to figure out what actually happened to make this incredible decline, where the numbers have almost switched. I think right now there's a 70% or maybe even higher single parenthood rate within the black community. And by the way, the amount of abortions done by black women and black Hispanics is higher than any other demographic in the United States, hugely, hugely high. And what he shows is it's when the laws started coming in that subsidized people's irresponsibility. So it was when people were like, okay, you know, you don't want to get pregnant. Here's all these condoms, which by the way, Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood started out trying to give away as much contraceptives to minority communities as physically possible because they wanted to basically extinguish them. They were white supremacists with a capital w <laughs> they did not like minorities and they were trying to extinguish them by using contraceptives they wanted to sterilize uh, minority communities actually so that's the founders of planned parenthood yeah and that's and what people don't understand about uh abortion or just um these i uh, understand the, this thing of the lack of children is uh lack of desiring children is that it really comes back to um you know you are ridding yourself from the planet and it's so fascinating to hear people today saying that those of us who are pro-life are like white supremacists and it's like even people when they passed the texas bill they were like don't you know that this bill doesn't have equitable outcomes that black people and hispanic people are going to be 
uh, affected by this more than white people. And so you're like, okay, so what you're saying is more black children are going to be born. And you're upset about that. Right? <laughs> There's a disproportionate amount of black kids that will be born this year because of this legislation. Ooh. And you're pissed off about that. <laughs> that kind of sounds like white supremacy to me. That sounds a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> it's so funny how they, <laughs> like their argument sounds so like we're for them. We're <laughs> yeah. for them. And, and I love how you put it. Like you're, you're for them, but you're for their death. <laughs> you want more. So you're upset. <laughs> That more black people won't be dead by the end of this year. That's what you're pissed off about. <laughs> and I'm the white supremacist because I want more black people to be, to alive. be, born, to be alive this year than last year. But at any rate, you know. <laughs> it is so backwards, <laughs> it's man. It's so backwards. And it's like when you can call black, white, and white, black, you're in bad situation. And what Thomas Sowell shows is that these programs – they are inequitable because they actually deteriorate the black family at a high rate. Why? Because when you tell people you don't have to be responsible, you know what happens to them? They become irresponsible. You cannot remove responsibility from someone and expect them to meet up with other people at maturity and responsibility rates. When you take it away from someone and they don't learn the lessons young, they won't learn the lessons old either. And that's why biblical accountability is great. Uh, the idea is because what we're trying to do is bring responsibility right. to the issue. Right. I mean, that's what it is. And it's not a condemnation thing. Right. But it's just the it's just the responsibility. Right. Of, you know, being able to even share. Right. Like, hey, I, I didn't do good this week or, right. you know, that kind of thing. You're you're being responsible. Right. You you're know, taking ownership of yeah. your actions. Right. right. That kind of thing. It, well, it, it's it, it, it is interesting how backwards it all is, because I was looking at on uh, Texas Tribune.org where it has a article about the Texas law that was passed and it has this sign um, of demonstrators that are gathered in front of the governor's uh, mansion in Austin to protest the bill and one of the signs is you know of course it's all ladies in uh, i don't know if we can say that today but you know all women <laughs> they look like they women. look like women <laughs> i don't know how they, they identify look, yeah. they look like what was a woman 10 yeah. years ago <laughs> but they're holding a sign that says abortion saves lives hmm. and that's one of those really weird <laughs> like do they know does she know what she wrote on that <laughs> like abortion saves lives like, <laughs> like, what? like i wonder if you sat killing with people <laughs> saves people <laughs> that's right and i wonder if you sit down with this young girl and say like what <laughs> can you explain <laughs> your board like what she would say if she was like yes like you're against the minority people you're hurting us you're killing us like wait time out like if you're i if want your children to live <laughs> like that's yeah. my goal yeah we <laughs> should be killing our we love to kill our kids and let us kill our kids <laughs> because it's saving the lives right you know it's like it's like what is the logic because right. the board itself abortion saves lives i'm surprised someone in her party right. doesn't turn to her and say that that doesn't work <laughs> i'm on your side 
and I know that that's a bad sign. Like, <laughs> get a different sign. It's it's <sighs> abortion crazy. is a right. I understand that sign. We demand bodily autonomy. That is the whole issue here. By the right, way, right. is everybody wants to be selfish right. and uh, you know that kind of thing, um, and not have responsibility. And we've talked about that, but abortion saves lives. Again, I think if Thomas. Uh, uh, soul looked at a sign like that he would just be like the problem I I can hear him in my ear saying like the problem with uh, today's society is we have too many intellectuals that have no clue what they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) that's right you know intelligence is not a substitute for wisdom (laughs) (laughs) and I can hear him just say that that they have no clue what they're talking about they're experts in nothing right you know um you know their expertise um is um d or uh it's 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 no long it's not validated uh through the things they share right you know what i mean and you know so i've heard a couple of these arguments and they're all atrocious by the way uh the first one is like abortion saves lives because an un uh, more minorities grow up to be criminals and murderers. So therefore, if you kill more minorities, <laughs> you are actually preventing more of these criminal, more of this criminal element to develop. And obviously, it's like that wow. is so racist. <laughs> it like blows my mind that you're actually like saying we want to kill more people in the womb because those people might become criminals in their adult age. So let's just kill them now. And that's the idea. And again, it's so funny how like people today who support pro-life, I mean pro-choice, they unanimously, I'm sorry, unanimously condemn Margaret Sanger for her white supremacist views. But even though they've, you can't get rid of the root, man. (laughs) Like they're trying to be like, we don't support Margaret Sanger. What she said was atrocious. And yet you see her ideals still present even though they've thrown out the person the ideals and the philosophy are still undergirded within their worldview so they can't get rid of it the second one which uh, there's a little more credibility to it but it's still foolish it misses the point is that there are instances in which a mother might have to go undergo some sort of a therapy or thing to save her life that might end up killing the child So an example of this is what if the mom gets cancer um, and so she has to undergo chemo or radiation therapy, which might kill the child. Are you okay with that? My answer is in the case that you're dealing with a situation, a difficult situation where the mom has to make a choice between both me and my child die Mm -hmm. or just my child dies. That is a horrible decision that a mom has to make. But if they have to make that horrible decision, I think it's better that at least one life is saved than both lives are lost. So we use Thomas Aquinas, who's a famous philosopher. He had a law called the law of double effect. And what the law of double effect states is that if you have a situation like that, where you have to choose between two bad decisions and one decision for a moral good has an unintended double effect that results in something negative, then you still have a moral obligation to do that good thing. So in this state, I mean, in this situation, 
it is a moral good to save that mother's life. The intent of doing it, though, is not to kill the kid. It's to save the mom. The unintentional double effect is the side effect that can't be avoided. Hmm. So that's not an abortion saving a mom's life. That's not she didn't go into Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood killed her child and sucked it out of her. And then she was saved. It was she underwent a procedure that unintentionally killed her child. That's what we're talking about. So the the sign is ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's all that crazy. to say, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous sign. So anyway, that's kind of our abortion podcast. So very interesting. Um, not that we won't do another one at some point, but um, I thought that was a lot of good points made. So yeah. hopefully you guys dug it. Hopefully you guys check out our website at betterpleasure.org or running light or betterpleasure.net or runninglight.org. Um, and we hope to catch you soon for another podcast. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.